Welcome back, everyone, to the Black and Brown Get Down, the podcast. Uh, Again, I am Mary D. Moran, and we have... Dejan Jordan. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited. We have a really great episode for you, um, starting with... So, bruh, I got some news. These white people out here wilding. So, did you hear about Karen and Ken in St. Louis thinking they missed and Mrs. Smith? You know, I did. So, for those of, of us who haven't, basically, the mayor of St. Louis was on Facebook Live hosting a weekly COVID briefing and, like, answer question, an- answering questions. And some folks start asking her about recent protests that were going on at City Hall and about City Hall ignoring organizers, like, clear demands about what they wanted to do in terms of defunding the police and like really completely reinvesting all the money of the that was being given to the police uh, into black and brown communities. So instead of listening to folks and actually reading the demands, she got mad that people called her out. She walked away from her live feed to go grab some printed papers and start reading out the first and last names and addresses of every individual organizer as a way to try to intimidate them. A damn shame. Right. So that kicked off a protest to her house calling for a resignation. As if her actions weren't enough, her neighbors, Ken and Karen, also known as pers- personal injury lawyers, Mark and Patricia McClowski, stood on their front porch looking like Carol Baskin and the Purge pointing guns at protesters. It's people not even looking in their direction. I, I can't even begin to tell you how upset that makes me. I mean, besides all the really funny uh, memes I've seen, a whole bunch of them came out. I mean, when I tell you uh, Black Twitter, always undefeated, but uh, the designers, the people who are like, who keep making these memes, they just keep getting better and better. Uh, but beyond that, I'm angry as hell. First of all, um, that house was huge. Can we talk about that house? That house was huge, huge. Like, do real people live there? That looked like a whole state building, first of all. And um, so, yeah, we're coming for you. And then Ken and Karen, like, you, this is why we have a problem. Because actually, the people who are in charge of interpreting the law, Ken and Karen, a.k.a. Mark and Patricia McClowski. Go ahead, name them names. Come on. And and you're interpreting the law and you're racist as hell. So that's the problem. We wonder why we're in this place that we're in now. And, um, you know, they run their own law firm. I mean, these are like real people. Right. And uh, I don't I, I just I can't believe, first of all, they, they should have watched a YouTube channel. They could have gone on these digital uh, <laughs> these digital um, things they have for the people now on how to hold your guns. There you go. You know how to do how to hold a rifle because they don't know how to do that. And um, and it goes back to really showing that you don't know what you're doing. You're and that policing and guns are really about protecting property. It's actually not, and protecting the powerful, and that they're not about creating safety because they keep saying they didn't feel safe. And I know 
I, I couldn't feel safe if uh, Carol Baskin was holding a gun like that pointed at me. And if I'm protesting outside of her house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's about to come down because they done lawyered up and they're on all of the, you know, CNN and Fox and all of this talking about how scared they were. So they know, you know, uh, it's about to come down. That hammer is about to come down over the head um, because what they did was just a violation altogether. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just I'm just tired. Like, I'm just like, how is it? that we got to feel the pain, then we got to organize and make clear plans for improvement for you. Y'all blatantly ignore us when we try to hold you accountable. Then your cousin show up hypersensitive and armed because you're feeling hurt. And we're supposed to be peaceful? Like, what the hell? Like, look, I'm just ready to pack up all all my shit and like head to Ghana and just like chill with some melanated folks just to take a break from here. I'm coming too. Are they gonna let us in? <laughs> you know they will. Americans in. Look, they, they got a big banner. They look, want us to come. They said, "Look." The EU said they not letting Americans in. But see, um, we don't want to. We ain't going to the EU. Yeah, well, I'm saying the the AU should also be like, <laughs> y'all can't come. Especially how we've handled, you know, our response to COVID. Anyway. Mm. Yeah, I hear more and more uh, black people, brown people are getting their uh, licenses to carry. Even if we do get every single gun license, every single gun, everything that we need to uh, feel safe or to uh, feel like if we're being attacked, we have a response there is no response to the most powerful and militarized uh, country. So, you know, we have to be realistic, right? And we also have to, um, you know, just keep it real with ourselves. Yes, we should get a gun license. Yes, we should, you know, it's our right to bear arms. But we're talking about the most uh, powerful and militarized country in the world. Mm. Yeah, but what do you think about like, you know, f- folks like like me and and folks in my family are like we want to at least feel prepared. We don't want to be walking around like, oh, well, they got guns, and though they might weaponize guns against us if we get licensed. Like, what do we like? What do we do to feel some sense of? Like, oh yeah, I mean, I think it's a yes and right. So do what you need to do. Get you, you know. Uh, you are well within your right to have those things, right? But we can't abandon the uh, the struggle and the fight in the streets to uh, demilitarize this country, mm. right? And that has to be central. That has to be our focus because there is no way we're going to protect our people by everybody getting a gun. This is about us being able to demilitarize this country and defund the police. Um, so, uh, yeah. And now uh, let's get back to centering ourselves. And because Ken and Karen are just driving me crazy. Uh, and not just Ken and Karen who were, you know, in that video, but also uh, all, of them, huh? all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, you all know that we have our Black Love Brown Pride segment, uh, really inspired by one of our uh, greats. Um, and where we um, 
talk to our people, where we build, where we get inspired, where we learn about our community, our traditions, and our culture. Um, so today we have uh, a very special guest coming to us from San Jose, California. He's a good brother, both of mine and of the organization and of our work. I have had the great pleasure of building with him and uh, the Calpuli Tonaleque. Uh, most of you will remember him uh, and uh, the Calpuli Tonaleque who joins us every year at the Black and Brown Get Down uh, events um, that we have here in New Orleans. And I remember from, uh, I went to San Jose State for those of you who don't know, and um, I remember going to Mexica New Year and it was like the biggest thing uh, and everybody was there. I mean, like from the very most beautiful elders that you've ever laid your eyes on to uh, young babies who had just come out of the womb and were wrapped, uh, you know, in, um, in everything they needed to be wrapped in in order to stay warm because it gets cold uh, uh, for that sunrise ceremony. And so uh, we have today Ye Tochli Mitlapili, uh, which his name, and he'll tell us more about it, is Three Rabbit Arrows Tied Together. He's a native of San Jose, California. And in 1993, he was first introduced to Aztec dancing, um, danza, uh, and the culture. And he uh, that's when he first started dancing for the first time. He then founded uh, Calpuli Tonaleque in 2004. Imagine being a student that long, right? Now we think the process is from one day to the next, but this is actually um, a process that I mean, it took him uh, a long time to uh, both found the Calpuli and uh, to become the leader, the Tech uh, te, Tecuchli. Um, and, uh, yeah, y'all gotta forgive me a little bit. My, my tongues are still coming back. Uh, that Nahuatl language is still, uh, trying to make its back, uh, its way back. And so he, uh, and the Calpulin, they host, um, the biggest Mexica New Year in San Jose. and uh, it's the largest gathering that, uh, of dancers in the U.S. Uh, so it's very special um, and very sacred, uh, both the time and the space. And so we're excited to have more of a conversation with him today. He's also the entrepreneur and owner um, of a clothing brand called uh, Dochliwear. You can find them at www.dochliwear.com. And um, yeah, we know him because every year, the tribe comes down. They make their way from San Jose to New Orleans and uh, they open our gathering and ceremony and uh, we build. And so we are so excited to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Meet Lapili. Um, welcome. Thank you very much, Tlasukamati, uh, Mary, for that introduction. And yeah, it's a pleasure to be uh, seeing you guys again and connecting and having a conversation, you know? So yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for the invite. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I mentioned, I was mm. trying to get my tongues together, but okay. So start us off. Your name is Mitlapili. What does that mean, fam? <laughs> yeah. So this is a name uh, in the Nahuatl language in the native Mexican language that I received in ceremony 
and uh, in the in in the ceremony that's called in Toca Tocai in Spanish we call it Siembra de Nombres, the planning of the names. Mm. So we, I received this name in 1997 from our maestro, one of our teachers from Mexico City, Oseloquat, who does a study on the day that we're born on the Aztec calendar. Depending on the day, the time, and the hour that we're born, then the study is done, and we receive six possible names. And so Yei was actually the day I was born, three rabbit, and the Aztec calendar and Mitlalpili is one of the characteristics of the elements that are going on in time and space at the time, at that moment of which I was born, which means uh, arrows tied together. And the reason why I chose that name is because for me, everybody that I work with is, the, is an arrow and my job mm. is to tie them together, you know, build that unity. So I took that on as my own personal mission, you know, to what I wanted to do with my life, you know, so that's where that name comes from. That's what it means, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, where do we go from here? I mean, one of the things I'll say is, um, you know, uh, DJ and I are constantly thinking about how do we get back to um, ourselves? How do we get back to uh, both the land, but also the spirits that, um, who we belong to, right? And so we think often about our mothers. We think often about, you know, uh, you know, we talked about the mother tongue today, the motherland, uh, our mothers, our grandmothers. And so would love to hear just a little bit um, more about you. You know, we want to know more about the work, but also uh, about you as a leader. And, uh, you know, where do you come from? Uh, and whose spirit do you bring into this work? Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Well, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised here in San Jose, California, which is Northern California, about an hour from San Francisco, about five hours north of LA, six hours, depending on how fast you drive, no? Right. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I grew up here in the Bay Area. I was uh, raised, I guess you can say Catholic. I went to Catholic school since kindergarten through high school. And uh, you know, I never really called my attention, <clears throat> but it's the, you know, one thing I did notice when I was young, you know, I was always asked, well, wh- who am I or what am I, you know, and, and I was told, well, you're Mexican. Oh, okay, cool, I'm Mexican, all right, cool. And as I got older, I started, you know, hearing of another identity, you know, I've seen a book, you know, I think my dad had a collection of books that said Chicano on there, I go, what is a Chicano? And I heard him say Chicano, what is that, you know? What is a Chicano? I don't know what that is. And so I found out later, oh, was, uh, I read it. When I was in high school, actually, I went to all-boys high school, Catholic high school, Bellarmine. And, you know, there was like, from being in the elementary school, which were like 80% Mexicans, and then going to a high school where like only 10% or less, right? Yeah, There's Bellarmine is, is... A lot of white folks out there, rich yeah. white, white mm-hmm. folks out there. White, rich, it's like white. a Newman type. Yeah. Oh. So it's the... Whew. Um, going into that, I was like, man, my identity really, you know, I had to like figure out who I was, you know, and this day we ended up starting a group there. It was called at that time. It was I, I was just telling this story the other day to another friend of mine that <clears throat> that song by Kid Frost came out, you know, La Raza. No, this is for the Raza. No, that was uh, 
I don't want to date myself too far back either, you know. But uh, when oh, that song okay. came out, <laughs> we started an event. <laughs> we might have to put that on the playlist, but <laughs> there you go. In the oldies list, no, in the right. oldies list, no, no. <laughs> but um, so that we started an organization called La Raza Unida, which was also I found out later that was there was a book written about that, but it was also like a political party, you know, that back in the sixties and seventies they were trying to start instead of the Democrats and Republicans, they had La Raza Unida party. So we ended up starting this organization, La Raza Unida, and then we're also part of another. group group who was called um what do we call it the mob is the minorities of Bellarmine right so we it was the you know the Chicanos uh with the black organization black student union and also with the Filipino organization also we all were hanging out while we clicked up together you know because if someone Dang, tried to mess with us, right. yeah they'd have to can't just mess with one bean you gotta play you mess with the whole burrito you know so uh, come come through hey <laughs> come through food analogies <laughs> which i love yeah, right <laughs> So, este, um, you know, so that, you know, that, that's how, you know, I grew up in high school. And then when I ended up, I was listening, um, you know, I heard that I was listening to those Radio Aslan at San Jose State. I don't know if you remember that radio station, Radio Aslan. Um, that might have been there before your time, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but I was listening. They were announcing that they were going to have an event at San Jose State University. It was called La, La what is it called? La Raza Day or Raza Day where they were bringing high school students onto campus, Chicano students onto campus, and they were, um, you know, giving them a tour and doing workshops and having speakers and stuff like that. So I was like, what? What's up? How come our school's not invited? Well, you guys are valid. You don't need to go to this thing. So I was like, what? Well, we have Chicanos here too. So we ended up going, and that's where I got mm-hmm. exposed more to what is Chicano studies, what is, you know, Mecha and all that stuff, right? So I ended up going to college. I joined Mecha, and then I think um, – and Mecha was a student group. Um, yeah, Chicano Movimiento Estudiantil Chicano de Aztlán. It's, you know, throughout the United States, but pretty strong here, most mostly in the Southwest, in Cali, California, you know. And, um, and so that, um, actually before that, I think in 1992, my uncle had invited me during the summertime to go see the Voladores de Papantla. I don't know if you've ever seen them before. Mm, I can show I you an image. Yeah, there's a, like an 80-foot pole. And these four guys, five guys go to the top and they come spinning down in a, in a yeah, rope. Yeah, I like saw them tied in, to their waist. in El Defe when I was out there. There you go. So that tradition is a Totonaca tradition from Veracruz area. Yes, So anyways, when I seen that, we went to go see that and I was like, wow, you know. But then that same event, it, uh, there were some Aztec dancers there and I was like, wow, I was tripping out. I'd seen like feathers and I heard the rattling of the ayayotes. I didn't know what it was at that time. And I seen like feathers walking across the crowd because it was really packed with people. And I told my uncle, hey, let's go check that out. So we went to go see it. And that's when I seen Aztec dancers for the first time. It was like in 92. But they all had introduced themselves like, oh, from Guadalajara, Mexico City, blah, blah, blah. So I go, oh, these guys aren't from here. But there was one guy they introduced from San Jose. So I was like, wow, maybe there's hope. Maybe they're around here somewhere. And anyways, you know, that happened. And like a year later, I didn't realize um, I ended up meeting. Uh, we're doing a uh, petition to remove the Columbus statue from City Hall mm. This was back in 93. And we were at an event. Um, it was the 23rd. What you say? You've been doing this work. Been doing <laughs> this work. You know, <laughs> yes, the, um, you know we're do- doing petitions to get that. And, uh, you know, uh, I ran into this uh, gentleman. His name was Witziling. And uh, he, you know, he goes, hey, that guy looks really native. Man. He had a bandana on and he had like, you know, eagle talons on like necklace. And I go, oh, that's classic. I had to sign the petition. Ended up, we ended up becoming really good friends with them. And he ended up becoming our teacher. And he really, he took us to that same dance group, mm-hmm. you know, that I had seen a year, a year ago, you know, a year before that. 
So, I mean, after I started dancing, 93, like, I haven't stopped ever since, you know. So, Dang, let me find out you were yeah. a volador. I wish. No, I'd be cool. I'd be like... <laughs> I told those guys, hey, man, I'm going to go to the top, man. But no. <laughs> um, man, what a beautiful story. Wow. Um, yeah. Beautiful because I, I think, you know, uh, you know, there's such a movement happening right now, especially around the removal of uh, all of these white supremacist symbols and statues and, you know, street names and, you know, school names, all of these uh these symbols that and buildings which, that have been what's erected. What's up with Jackson Square? Exactly, Jackson Square <laughs> got to come down. We, look, we're working on it. Uh, we work. There you go. There you go. Jackson Square got to come down. You guys blessed it uh, a year ago, right? Yeah. Um. And uh. And so yeah, I, I think you know everybody. To your point, you know, at first you were like. Uh, who are these people, you know, or like, what are these noises? And we're attracted to these sounds and images. Uh, and many of the people who listen to the podcast uh, aren't the revolutionaries because they, because uh, they too revolutionary for the podcast, but, <laughs> but there are a lot of people who, who actually think, you know, who are in the process and of, you know, becoming and like finding themselves and really finding their footing in this work. And so would love to just um, hear more about, um, you know, when you were, you're from San Jose, right? You're, uh, I don't know if you're from the East side look at, or where you're from, but tell us about, uh, about who you were, who was Meet Lapili uh, at 13? Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, I was just an innocent little kid, you know, <laughs> este, and, um, you know, play sports and ride bikes and play, you know, in the parks and all that stuff, just, you know, living my, my, my youth years, you know, and, um, you know, one thing that really, uh, made me kind of reflect later is like, I grew up with my grandma, my grandma, you know, este, she, she's like, well, both of my grandmothers pretty much kind of took care of me. Right. But my grandma, um, you know, she would, uh, they would always be talking. I remember every Saturday morning, they would be talking, her and her sisters, they're all talking in Spanish. But every time I would go and talk to them, she would talk to me in English. And I was like, I didn't really understand why, but it was cool. I mean, I didn't trip, you know, but later on I found out that the reason why she spoke to me in English and not Spanish is because she grew up in Texas. And she had told me when she was in school that she used to get hit mm. um, by the teachers with, with like a ruler or a stick because they would speak Spanish. So she didn't want me to have to go through that, that type of... Um, racism i guess you can say you no know, other type of situation so you know i was just uh 13 years old you know just riding my bike playing basketball you know and going to school and you know um yeah just uh back then there was no cell phones there was no internet there was no you know facebook instagram that's a long time know? ago just <laughs> yeah there was no mexica new year you know there was no mexica mm. new year you know that was one thing too that a friend of mine here, she says, hey, remember when we were growing up, they didn't have this. And now look at what you guys have been able to create. I'm like, why well, I didn't trip on that. But yeah, that's true. You know, so now that I see my kids growing up and the youth growing up, they're growing up with these things already. Like, you know, they I guess they probably think it's been there all the time, but it always it hasn't always been there, you know, for them. So but now it is. So we're happy, happy for that. Yeah. And that struggle that Lucha to get. uh <clears throat> 
things uh, to sort of imagine a new reality is something that we're in the process of right now as a country and that we're always constantly doing that in our communities. To your point, you know, Mexica New Year's wasn't there and now it's been there since since what year? Um, 22 years ago. So this was this would have been well, this was our 22nd anniversary. So. Wow. Do the math. What's that? 1998. Yeah. And who started Mexica New Year in in San Jose? Mm, well, I think it might have had some influence from the from that elder I told you about, Witzilin. You know, may rest in peace. Estate. And it was in collaboration. The first one I went to was about 22 years ago, and it was in this, it was in a hall, a small hall that was probably about 100 people there. And um, you know, it was uh, at the, actually in Gardner Community Center in the Sal Si Puedes neighborhood, where Cesar mm. Chavez grew up. Este, yeah, it was with collaboration with the Mexican Heritage Corporation, or Plaza, whatever their name was at the time. Um, you know, that was, uh, you know, kind of when the Mexican Heritage Plaza went up around that time, you know. So um, that's that's the version I know, you know. Yeah. yeah. Wow, man, we're going to have to get into some... Uh, uh, that might be for a different podcast, but uh, <laughs> a different episode into some... Uh, Bay Area uh, location politics, you know, geographic, because yeah, they be trying to play uh, San Jose so bad, and there's so so such a rich history there. Who's that? Oh, who's that? Oh, exactly. <laughs> I want some names. Oh, I want some about names. to pull up. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some names. Nah, no, I ain't trying <laughs> to start. I don't want no smoking, yeah, nah, and I'm, I'm sure kidding. they don't want that kind of smoke. Yeah. Um, but uh, you just don't know, right? Yeah, because I mean, you know, when you talk about Salsi Puedes. Uh, Cesar Chavez is, uh, you know, where he grew up and now the home of the largest Mexica New Year gathering uh, in the States. I mean, that's huge, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, such a rich history and such a um, like very right now tradition that we have created and are continuing to create. Uh, and so uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, would love to hear just what you, what advice you would give to any uh, young people um, who who don't necessarily have a bunch of community around them, you know, and who are building um, new traditions and who are building, uh, I think, with where there isn't a longstanding tradition like in San Jose, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's kind of where the clothing brand came in, you know, este, because, um, you know, uh, back when I can say back in college, you know, back in the 90s, you know, the, around the same time that I was the uh, first couple of years in college, that movie Malcolm X came out. Right. I think around that time, you know, I don't know my dates exactly, but um, <clears throat> I remember a lot of uh, uh, the African brothers and sisters had the hat with the X on it. I don't remember that black hat yeah. with the X, that white X on it. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then they had the medallions with the Africa symbol on that. At least here in Cali, those were popular, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you remember those, but they were like leather medallions and had the Africa continent on it. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, the motherland. I was like, oh, that's cool. I said, well, where's mine at? You know, I need one yeah. too. And so I made my own. I made my own. I made it out of leather and I made a little shield, an Aztec shield on it. And I was rocking it. Okay, I'm rocking that on my campus. Well, I just said the black and brown get down was happening back then. Yeah. So um, 
you know, all of a sudden someone came up to me and said, Hey, where'd you get that? And I said, Oh, I made it. Oh, I'm like, what can I buy one of those? Boom. And all of a sudden the light bulb went over. So I just started making a few more of these, you know? And so, you know, that's where I kind of started my little entrepreneurship there, just making little necklaces here and there and going to metro conferences and, you know, just making enough just to pay for my expenses, my, my gas money, you know, my gas uh, expenses or whatever, you know? So, um, <clears throat> You know, now that's how we created this clothing brand, you know, and I think that's one way, one of our one of our goals with the clothing brand is that people can wear something and still be, you know, uh, you know, with, with the current urban style or streetwear or whatever, you know, wear something on a daily basis, but also have their culture represented on them, you know, whether it be a, you know, T-shirt design, some type of symbol, an Aztec calendar or something, but something that people can relate to because what I've learned, what I've heard is that, you know, one Growing up, as you mentioned, 13 years old, you know, in my first, you know, from kindergarten to high school, I hardly learned, learned anything from school about who I am as my culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember I had a really thick history book, and in that 500-page history book, there was a half a page about the Aztec people or about the Indians, and all they said was Christopher Columbus came and discovered them, and that's it. You know, it's like... All right. It was like, how can our people have any pride or any dignity or any self, um, how do you say, uh, empowerment? Awareness, yeah. We don't even know who we are. Identity. We don't even know. We're not even learning who we are in school. So yeah. we're like not even we're out of sight and out of mind almost, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, so when I got into college and Chicano studies, like, whoa, I didn't even know this thing existed. We should be learning this from elementary school. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so I, I encourage the youth going back to your question, you know, is to, um, you know, to, it's hard, you know, but to do some research, you know, to check out, check out, um, you know, do some research on, there's a lot of cool brands. There's a lot of cool native brands out there right now, you know, on Instagram and on Facebook and stuff like that. Matter of fact, I just got off another podcast right now called Molcajete Dominguero which is based in LA, but they take all these um, little uh, small businesses, small brands, and, you know, they, they put them all together and they're promoting them all. So oh, a lot of people nice. are coming up with Dang, a lot of cool a stuff. Dang, digital so. tianguis? Yeah, exactly. No, That is mm. what's up. Yeah, the, the you know, tianguis shopping network, you know? Yeah, yeah, the shopping yeah. Network, I think they call it now, you know? But it's the, so, yeah, I mean, that's the only way because all the events are canceled. So now everybody's going digital to do that, you know? But, you know, for the youth, I know it's probably hard. You know, there, there's that peer pressure, you know? Oh, you got to be cool. You got to be with the in crowd, you know? And if you do something different, then, you know, it's the, you know, sometimes you, you have that, you know, that how do you say the reluctancy or, you know, that doubt, right? You want to be wearing what everyone else is wearing, you know, Nikes or whatever they're wearing out there, you know, but like my daughter, she's in high school, my son are in high school and they rock my sweaters out there. They rock the sweaters, they rock the gear and their friends are starting to rock it too. So it makes it a lot easier for them when that support system is in place. Mm. It's a lot easier for them to be able to deal with that peer pressure. I remember they come out with all that turquoise. Yeah. And even, even within our group, we have some young, uh, young people, high school students, junior high school students in our group. And because they have that network in the group within the Calpuli, when they go out to school, they feel that confidence. They have that yeah. confidence when they're by themselves with their other peers, you know? So, so that's important too, to have that, um, that support network, you know, for the youth, you know, cause I know it can be tough out there. Yeah. What, know, what my personal experiences, what books or, you know, movies or, you know, just to kind of leave folks with a couple of resources, um, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that we pin the brand up there too. Um, uh, but you know, what, 
you know, YouTube channels or what would you recommend for people who are trying to, to learn more who all they, they also, all they get is that, um, is that little paragraph that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, in terms of books, you know, a lot of the books, the best books that I've learning, I mean, that, that we use as references to learn about specifically the Mexica culture, they're mostly all in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, so people read Spanish, the, some of the best, some of the, one of the more well-known authors that we, we study, that we follow, his name is uh, Maestro Arturo Mesa Gutierrez. Arturo Mesa Gutierrez, who's in Malinalco, which is close to Mexico City. Este Malinalco is where they trained the Eagle and the Jaguar Warriors back in the days, no? So Malinalco is still a sacred site there in Mexico, but he's, he has a few books out. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's like you can't easily find those on Amazon, you know I mean? He's, you know, basically publishing his own books, you know, and right. so As um, we're trying to we're trying to help to help with distribution. So that's a really good, um, but in pretty much any book, you know, just pick up books and start reading. You know, it's like anything. You know, you just gotta go to the library, look up the Aztecs. You know, and just one thing leads to another. You know, the more you learn, the more you find out you need to learn. You know, and a lot of times there's the historical version of history and there's the traditional version of history. Right? They say the golden rule. The one with the gold makes the rules, you know. So there's the definitely the European version of our history. They're going to say we're blood uh, thirsty savages and we did human sacrifices and we had 5,000 gods, blah, 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 blah. But you go to our version of history and they're going to give a different version, you know, uh, you know, that we, human sacrifice does not exist, you know, that we didn't have multiple gods, you know, that we had one creator, you know, that we lived in harmony with, you know, it explains, you know, the, 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 the official version will say that the aliens came and helped us build all these big old cities, you know, but our version says, no, we've been studying the stars and we aligned our, our cities, you know, based on the stars and the equinoxes and the solstices and the zeniths and the movements of the planets, you know, so Let's there's two go. versions of history. So go ahead, tell them, <laughs> you know, that's the thing, right? You go to, you go to the mainstream media, like schools and the textbooks and the apocalypto movies or you go to the library and that's the version you're going to hear but when you come to our to the from the ones that come from the people you will hear a different version of it you know and that's been something that we that's why i said i really recommend this guy's books you know but another people on youtube if people speak spanish you know maestro Ocelocoat is one of our main maestros mm-hmm. he has a lot of good videos on youtube and they're free but they're all in spanish they might a couple of them might have translations Maestro Arturo Mesa Gutierrez also has a couple interviews on YouTube. Another maestro, his name is Choconochtle. He has some videos on YouTube. He has a really good book. It's called Wisio España, Judgment on Spain. And it has a, it just covers a lot of subjects. And it's all in one book. But I just recently spoke to him and there's not any books around. So mm. that's the thing. These maestros are, you know, have don't have the resources to, to publish their books. But the information they got is and- powerful and empowering. Yeah, because so much was lost when uh, when the conquistadors, you know, all you know, we people love to. Uh, I don't know. Still, I guess they teaching about yeah. Christopher Columbus in schools. Yeah, I uh, mean, even even in Mexico, I hear. You know, I mean, I'm not really wasn't born in Mexico, and I don't go there too often. But I hear that there's still discrimination within Mexico. Like if you're if you look like Indio, if you look dark complected, you're like mm-hmm. considered lower class you know if you look at the soap operas on the on the spanish you know tv shows through blonde hair and blue eyes you know it's like well right. we don't look like that you know 
Right. So, you know, even I guess the society there in Mexico still doesn't um, treat the, the, the native people, indigenous people the same. So there's not the resources. So when a native person comes and say, I want to publish this book, well, sorry, we'll take your application and we'll get back to you later. And it goes into the circular file, you know, so. Right. So, there, you know, there's just not the support, the, the infrastructure in place is not there to really to support our, our yeah. point of view and our people. In Mexico, you know, also and here, and you here. know, because yeah. yeah, you also have the um, thing where you have the uh, white, um, either Mexican or any other from any other Latin American country, women and men who you know claim the culture, claim you know they might even speak uh, Spanish up and down, right? Can do all of the things they can dance the dances the cumbias and the salsas and all that um but for sure um you know there are treated better given better opportunities and um and are not making space uh or fighting for native people indigenous people and so uh, that's something that definitely needs to be uh, highlighted and talked about, especially because many of these white people, some people will say white passing. If you're white passing, you're white, which means that um, we need to start to refer to them as white. Uh, our leading organizations and leading work that's supposed to be for us, that's supposed to benefit us. And so they actually need to step aside and allow us to lead the work. Sure, you can help, but we must lead. Another thing I wanted to mention too is, um, you know, there's some good hip hop people like Natani Means. Have you heard of Natani Means? Natani mm, Means is a hip hop artist. We're getting school right, right now. Right, right, like right, right. And he's Natani Means. I worked with him. He's Rus uh, Russell Means' uh, son, which is one of the leaders and founders of American Indian Movement. So Natani Means, he was one of the water protectors out there at, at Standing Rock, right? Mm. So he's uh, he has some really good music out and his lyrics are very educational, right? So he's like, it's in English too, right? It's popping right now. He's really, really good. Natani means um, El Vu. They're from LA. Chicano hip hop, Mexica hip hop. They talk about Mexica culture, and they all have a good message. Um, B side players. I like their music. They're out of San Diego. You know, they talk about uh, nuestras demandas, or, or they talk about the zapatistas. They talk about the border. You know. Um, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of cool artists coming out right now in the hip hop scene, you know, so that at least opens consciousness, you know, people can start yeah. hearing something they can relate to, they can easily understand and connect with, you know. And it so. sustains you in the work. So you've and now supporting been, them too, yeah. yeah, you've now been dancing for how many years or 20, been in this life, you know, going on 27 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And so 27 years is a lot of most of my life. Yeah. Oh, come on. Give us, give us, a, <laughs> give us an age. <laughs> uh, give us a sense of the age. Yeah. Right. That's more of your life there. So, um, but it's so important because it's hard to be sustained in this work. You know, so many people get burned out by uh, constantly being in, uh, in this work and we see them, you know, um, come in and out and we want to be able to be supportive as much as we can, uh, so that people can, uh, sort of really feel supported and feel like they can, uh, this is a sustainable lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of my new direction, you know, that I'm going to, you know, that we're going is how do we make this sustainable? You know, how do we keep it afloat? How do we create that 
unfortunately, being here in the United States, you know, everything is economics, you know, so how do we finance the work that we want to do? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of where I kind of uh, been in the past three years is, you know, I decided to, before I was uh, working in a high tech company here in Silicon Valley, right here in San Jose, it's also known as the Silicon Valley, the Bay Area where we got Google here, we got Facebook headquarters, we got LinkedIn here headquarters, we got, um, yeah, all these billion dollar companies here. Um, <clears throat> so I was working in that high tech industry, building computers, building lasers, building all these, you know, Things and I've learned how to produce, how to how to make revenue. That was the biggest thing, right? How to make that money at the end of the month. So I just took that experience and decided to go and take my my experience and put it into my own culture and put it into my own brand, my own you know my own t-shirts, my own necklaces, whatever I would do, you know. And just I just that's because that's what I wanted to do, you know. Work was paying me and it was paying my bills, but just wasn't fulfilling to fulfilling me. Wasn't fulfilling to me, you know, other than my pocketbook. But, you right. know, after I realized what some of these machines that I'm building are actually doing, they're making like GMO mm. freaking stuff. I was like, I don't want to, I can't contribute. I can't put my energy into that, you know? So yeah. I'm going to go figure a way to go do this on my own. And that's kind of why I decided three years ago just to go um, be self-employed and be an entrepreneur, you know? And then now I started networking with these other people that are business owners, you know? Because there's other small businesses and big businesses and, you know, mom and pops and small brands and people that are doing their own thing. And so how do we redirect our, you know, a friend of mine just told me there's 35 million Mexicans here in the United States. If we can get $1 from every single one of them, then we have $35 million. We can do a lot with $35 million, you know? So, you know, how do we use that economic power that we have and create things positive for our community? And how do we keep that money flowing in our community? Is to start building our own schools and start building, getting our own land. So we don't have to be asking for no one's permission to have our ceremonies, you know? That's yeah. one big thing that we're working on too right now is we want to have our own land because... We have to ask an application and get permits and da, 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 just to go have our own ceremony when we're native people in our own land. There's something mm. wrong here. You right. know, so, este, you know, so, um, you know, that's one way that we're trying to make it sustainable. You know, it's just being able to um, create an economic engine, right, to be able to fund the things that we want to do. So we don't have to be writing grants. We'll be the ones giving the grants out. You know? Hello. Right. Um, yeah, man. Ten, as soon as you get that link, I'm gonna put my <laughs> dollar in it. I'm gonna get more than a dollar. But there you go. Uh, right. look, and make sure you don't just ask Chicanos for. Uh, I'm not Chicano, but uh, but you know, I, I'll give you some money too, bro. No, no, for sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll I mean, represent I'll, for Central I'll, America. All of us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's all about everybody bringing everybody together. You know. I mean, yeah. Our people were never racist, you know. We've always we welcome when the Christopher Columbus came and Hernan Cortez came. We welcomed them, you know. We took care of them. We fed them. We taught them how to feed themselves, you know. And and unfortunately, yes, they, that, that's they were the way some we are. Savages, that's the straight savages, no. Dang, but, there were some um, straight savages. I hear they didn't know how to do a single thing. They weren't even washing themselves. They weren't washing yeah, them they didn't hands. Even know what soap was. Wasn't washing them legs. Yeah, they either. weren't <laughs> washing them legs either, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight like so. that i know dj has uh uh a, a game for us um yeah so i'm gonna handle that uh mira pili we wanna you know just have a little fast lightning round of a couple questions we'll we'll call it like either or so we're gonna throw out a couple things and get you to try to pick something fast okay you ready all right all right tacos or tamales tacos 
Lowrider or Suburban? Suburban. Uh, Lowrider Suburban. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like Suburban. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, camping or luxury vacation? Camping. All right. Oh, can I can I get a couple? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, how about cumbias or uh, oldies? Oldies. Oh, okay. Um, how about? Let me see. Um, like a, a, a I don't. Please don't tell me you're a Niners fan. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, a I'm Raiders not. jacket or a flannel? A Raiders jacket or a flannel. You're like, know. neither. Totally wear. <laughs> totally wear. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, like go ahead Snoop, and wrap your Like right, Snoop Dogg right, right. says, I wear my own clothes. Right. Exactly. See, I, I tossed you a good one. That was a good one. That was for free. Uh, <laughs> but um, we are so grateful. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Blessings, brother. Over to the people. Same to you guys, too. Take care. Uh, so th- thanks again to our guest, uh, Meet Lapitli. We really have been blessed by the schooling, just just putting us together and really uh, reminding us where we come from and whose traditions we're following. Um, and so what's, with so much shit in the world going on, we need moments to celebrate us. Uh, this is our moment where we shine a light on the often hidden and important work that we do just for us. And this week we wanna lift up living legend and Baton Rouge's very own Gary Chambers. Gary, Gary is an- <laughs> Gary is an actor. I just felt like saying his name like that. Gary. <laughs> Anyways, Gary is an activist and the owner of the Rouge Collection, a black media company dedicated to sharing a collection of views with one goal in mind: to keep you enlightened. Recently, Gary went viral for doing what he does best: loving black people and calling out white supremacy, no matter where it is. So I had intended to get up here and talk about how racist Robert E. Lee was, but I'm going to talk about you, Connie, sitting over there shopping while we're talking about Robert E. Lee. This is a picture of you shopping while we're talking about racism and history in this country. Only white members of this board got up while we were up here talking, too, because you don't give a damn, and it's clear. But I'm going to tell you what the slaves, my ancestors, said about Robert E. That's what Robert E. Lee did. And you set your arrogant self in here and sit on there shopping while the pain and the hurt of the people of this community is on display. Because you don't give a damn and you should resign. You should have resigned two years ago when you... Not to the rest of the board. You have an obligation to the people of this community. And 81% of them are black. And do you need a Klan rally outside, Mr. Goday, before you end it? Because holding it up means that you put that building in jeopardy. You do, sir. Because all over the country, they're burning stuff down. And black folks in this city have stood with protesters. I ain't seen you elected officials out there with them, making sure that nothing goes south in Baton Rouge. It's been folks in this community who give a damn, not just when it's comfortable, but every time. And four years ago, we came down here. Now, let me say to the black members of the board, it's the most solidarity I've seen out of y'all in forever. Let's keep that. Let's stand on this moving forward. Because we don't need to apologize for Connie, Evelyn. Yes, praise him. And that should let you know that God can use anything and anyone. In this particular case, he used Gary Chambers and Baton Rouge is now on the map for showing us um, that we'll, while we're in the streets, um, 
and this movement is about dismantling systems of oppression and systems of white supremacy. We're talking about defund the police, but that's not separate from um, our school systems. That's not separate from holding elected leadership accountable or any other um, sector, whether it's housing, uh, that we need to continue to uplift. Because time's up for people like Connie. Connie, time's up. Uh, who are um, are going to listen to our pain and the pain of people who are right in front of her uh, that she is accountable to uh, because she is an elected uh, official and is not responsive to. And then she has the nerve to sit up there and shop, you know, while people are sharing their pain. Time's up for that. Time's up for school boards and schools uh, who don't think that they're complicit and shouldn't be held accountable for how systemic racism plays into our schools, into our classrooms, our school boards. Uh, And uh, we're talking about all of these systems together, uh, Mm. how they conduct business and how they create and deliver instruction for our children. Time's up for one or two um, seats on the school board that are usually, you know, in white districts um, that are given to all white conservative um, folks who don't even have their kids in the public school system, right? We're done asking for reforms. We're asking for radical change in our schools. We're asking for leadership that can lead transformational change. So thank you, Gary. And for all the Connies out there, we're talking to you. And for our cousins, our skin folk who ain't our kin folk, this message for you too. We are no longer allowing you to perpetrate white supremacy just because you get a check. You need to be representing all of us. And I'm not just talking about the kids with bows in their head that look good. I'm talking about poor, disabled, special ed black children. The kids that come to school dirty, the kids you don't want to look at. I'm talking about representing all of us and representing the kind of transformational change that we all need. Don't be a Connie, be a Malcolm. Here on the podcast, we do something called the Rising Ritual. One, so that we can get to know what our rituals from the past are and learn them, but also to create new rituals and new traditions that are healthy, good, and centered in our people and in our history. Uh, For this episodes rising ritual we're actually going to bring meet lucky lee back uh to lead us through a song for sure yeah um yeah just wanted to say too you know uh, going back to some of the questions and some of the conversations we had i just remember you know is uh you talk about these songs and talk about these rituals and talk about these ceremonial ways these spiritual ways you know i remember one of my teachers you know uh she her name is carol apple you know she's a lakota you know and i want to pray for her and and her and uh kenny farmer you know they're sundance leaders you know right now we're going into the uh season of the sundance you know in south dakota you know and uh you know one thing she says she says our ways are very simple you know, our ways are very simple, you know, just pray, you know, just pray and, you know, believe in what you, in, in these ways, you know, and, uh, you know, they will, they were powerful, but they're also very simple. They're very simple things, you know, it's not like, and me, I'm not, you know, I'm just a common man, you know, I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm not a medicine person or anything like that. You know, I'm not trying to be a guru or a spiritual leader or anything like that, you know, but I'm just, uh, just trying to uh, continue the things that, my teachers have taught me, and I have many teachers, not only Mexica, but also uh, Lakota and other um, other nations. Like uh, we also work with Dakota elders. We work with uh, the local tribe here, the Mawekma Ohlone tribe. 
We work with the Esselin tribe, which is also close here, the uh, Rumsin tribe. We work with Pomo dancers, the Pomo uh, nation, the Miwok nation, este, like I mentioned, the, uh, <clears throat> Zuni, the Zunis from New Mexico also. Um, and, uh, you know, the other local, uh, how do you, what, what's it called? It? Re, re, um, um, well, yeah, people that had uh, left the res and now living in the city, I forget they call that too, but... Um, you know, so we, we work with a lot of different nations, you know, and that's another way too that people can learn because there's, like I said, on the Mexica way, most of the stuff is in Mexico. You know, if you get a chance, go to Mexico, Mexico City and go check it out. The museums and the, the sacred sites, you know, but also learn the native ways here. You know, the learn about the Inipi or the, you know, the Sweat Lodge, you know, the Vision Quest, the Sundance, you know, and go attend a ceremony, look, find out the local tribes and get to know because there's a lot of similarities you know, the four directions, um, you know, the father, son, the mother earth, you know, just basic things, you know. And so, um, you know, I just want to leave that there too, you know, for people to use as tools, you know, to just, it's like somebody told me the other day, it's like you have to, there's all these pieces of the puzzle and you have to pick them up one by one and put them together and make your own vision, you know, your own perspective of what, you know, what, what uh, what's there for you. You know, there's so much. Anyways, here's a song. I got a hand drum here and I'm going to unplug here and uh, it's called Tlazucamati Ometeo. So thank you to the creator. And then we also say Tlazucamati Huehueteo. is the Huehue is like ancient, the old one, the uh, ancient energy, which is the fire, which is the sun, our father's son too, you know, Tlazucamati Huehueteo. Thank you to our, the center of our universe and thank you to our creator, you know, for, for everything that we have. You know, I learned to, when we pray, is always to give thanks first what we have instead of asking for more stuff. You know, just, just say thank you for what we got, for our blessings. Instead of praying for, hey, can I win the lottery or can I get an A on my test or something like that? <laughs> you know, which is cool too, you know, but it's, it's always important to give thanks first. So here it goes. I'm going to do a short version. La Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Black and Brown Get Down. Subscribe and download us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Slide in our DMs if you have questions for us or you have a recommendation for a guest. And follow us on Instagram at Black and Brown Get Down. Love y'all. See y'all next time. Thank you.